have to say, part of me is terrified that something is going to happen with the audio recording and we're going to spend this hour and then it's gonna be something crazy like garbled or muted or I don't know, I'm just nervous about that. to Don't Read the Synopsis, a bookish podcast where we read and talk about all things books, except the synopses. I'm Zach. And I'm Devin. We are bookish besties, mood readers with cursed buddy reads and a love of romance. We wanted to start a podcast as a place to share with you listeners and with each other what is on our mind when it comes to bookish things. We spend a lot of time texting back and forth about upcoming releases, questions about how we approach reading, what we're tracking, planning reads. I thought all of these conversations shouldn't just be stuck in our text messages. So Devin brought this up to me over the course of a few different uh, months and times that we've spent together, both in person, we live just a few hours apart, as I was also working on a booktube channel. So if you recognize my name or you're coming from the Discord or social media, you may know me from Books and Bobs, a booktube channel that my wife and I had for almost two years. We recently decided that the YouTube avenue was not working out for us and our schedules and our times very well. There's still some reading sprints going on over there, but as a whole for making videos, I just don't feel like that's an avenue that I have time to put into in my life right now. Surprisingly, podcasting also takes up a lot of time, but you can do a lot of that work sporadically and off camera, and it just makes things fit into my schedule a little bit more. So I know some of you have questions as to why I'm doing a podcast and no longer a booktube channel, and I can't not talk about books. I can't not be a part of a community. And so I've just decided that podcasting with Devin is a good outlet for me to still do that while having more time for my life and reading and other things in life that matter. But you can get more information on that on our Discord. If you're not already part of our Discord, we'll have it linked below as as well as on social media. And Casey will be doing some reading sprints on the channel whenever she has time. But as far as me discussing books, it'll be on this, on our new podcast, which we are so excited to share with you guys. So for the first segment of the podcast, something that we are going to do every week that I think most bookish podcasts do, and that is to tell you guys about our latest reads. So Devin and I both read a ton of books every year. We can't tell you guys about every single book that we read every single episode. So what we've done is picked two books that we wanted to bring to you guys and tell you guys a little bit about. Every other month or so, we're still working out a schedule of how to do this. Devin and I are going to do like a wrap up. So you guys will hear about all the books that we read, rather that's just a review or a long drawn out explanation of why we did or didn't like the book. We will mention to you guys what we've been reading. So don't feel like you're going to be out of the loop about that. But every week that we release a podcast on Thursdays, we are going to tell you guys about two reads that we felt like we really wanted to bring to the podcast. So for today, I'm going to go first. And the first book that I'm going to tell you guys about is The Sentence is Death. So the whole idea around our podcast is that we don't read the synopsis of books. And so because Devin and I don't read the synopsis of books, and we're going to tell you guys a little bit more about what that means and how that works for us, because we do know about the books going into them, but we just don't read the synopsis. I am going to do my best to describe the book to you and everything without reading the synopsis. 
For The Sentence is Death, this is the second book in the Hawthorne and Horowitz series. I'm just blowing through these books. I love every minute of them. Basically, if you take Sherlock Holmes and his sidekick Watson and put them in modern books, that's this series. It's a detective series with very complex and thought-provoking mysteries, which is essentially what Horowitz is known for. The first book in the series is called The Word is Murder because it's a detective series and the mystery wraps up at the end of each. In theory, you could read these separately, sort of like a romance series. However, you would be missing out on a ton of character growth and development. I will warn you in both book one and book two, Horowitz discusses topics of homophobia that is contested, but unresolved. What I mean by that is it is contested, meaning it is not just let go. It is it is um, being worked on, but as far as through book two, it is unresolved. When you read the books, you'll know more about what I mean. I think it's a plot device for character growth. And as a person who is queer, I am not bothered by this. I think Horowitz is doing a good job of trying to address homophobia and is not using it as a plot device to harm others. But I just wanted to warn you before you pick these books up. The interesting thing about these books is that it blends nonfiction and fiction. For example, Horowitz, the author, is also one of the main characters in the books and discusses his actual life, such as the books he's written, like the Alex Ryder series. That's a YA series, for those of you who don't know. Difficulties of publication, etc. For some people, this may be off-putting, the blend of fiction and non. However, I love this aspect. In the first book, it took me a moment to get used to it. It kind of took me out of the story a little bit. But once I got on board, I really began to love that aspect and almost chuckle at it. This being the second book in the series, we began a brand new mystery. Now we weren't kidding. For the most part, Devin and I don't read the backs of books, aka the synopsis. Usually going into a book, I know the general vibe or the topic. I don't go in absolutely knowing nothing, but I go in knowing as little as possible. And I recommend you do the same for these, especially detective books. The general idea behind this crime-solving duo is that Hawthorne is a hardened detective and Horowitz follows him around writing a book about him and the crimes that he solves. Hawthorne very much does not want Horowitz to be involved in the investigations and often feels Horowitz is ruining the case for him. On the flip, Horowitz is learning to be a detective and this allows for some pretty comical moments. Hawthorne is a genius though and makes some outstanding connections that are very exciting as a reader. Before we move on to Devin's next pick, I will give you the general vibe. I gave this one five easy stars and I've decided to do kind of like a blind date with a book sort of thing. And so here would be the blind date with a book for The Sentence is Death. Complex mystery that's easily readable, drama, funny banter between main characters, Sherlock and Watson vibes, and a relaxing read that has a fun puzzle. And that book is The Sentence is Death by Anthony Horowitz. You have sold me. I yes, want that's my job. To read this. I want to read this now. I really did like the first book in his other series, The Magpie Murders. I'm reading that this month. But this sounds even more up my alley and really, really fun. I, I knew you were reading this and I knew that you would probably that you might talk about it, but we didn't tell each other what exactly what we were going to say. And I am also going to talk about a second book in a series that I'm really excited to talk about. I apologize for my over enthusiasm for this book that you can probably hear a little bit in my voice. I just finished Astrid Parker Doesn't Fail by Ashley Herring Blake. This is published by Berkeley and uh, came out November 22nd. I really loved it. I read this electronically through 
Libby and my library, but I do have a print copy. This is the second book in the Bright Falls series. And one of the things that is so great to me, particularly about romance series, is that you don't have to hold a lot of plot information from book to book. I don't want to have to do homework before I read. I don't want to have to seek out reminders about the previous book or look at someone's family tree to remind myself of what's going on. I really like reading romance series because they're usually released relatively close together. I think in sci-fi series and fantasy series, you're often dealing with really big, complex worlds. You're not often in contemporary reality. And I think it sometimes takes longer to hold all of those threads and write about them. And I, and also because sci-fi and fantasy series are often really long, it takes authors a lot longer to kind of grapple with all of that and get their books published and through. But romance series happen pretty close together. So that's another reason that I really appreciate romance series because you can so easily slide back into that world and characters. That's true for Astrid Parker doesn't fail. We follow Astrid who, if you remember from Delilah Green Care, that was the first book in this series. Astrid is Delilah's stepsister. If you like Delilah Green, I think you will really like Astrid Parker. Not if you like Delilah Green the person. If you like Delilah Green doesn't care the book, I think you'll really like Astrid Parker Doesn't Fail. I don't believe you always have to read romance series in order, but I do think in this case, as Zach was recommending in his book, you see so much more when you do read them in order. Here we see a lot of Astrid in the previous book because there are storylines between Delilah and Astrid. So I think that if you were interested in Astrid as a character, this is your chance to learn more. I would still encourage you to give this a try, even if you didn't like Astrid Parker in the first book, or even if you didn't really like Delilah Green as a novel, I would still encourage you to continue in the series and read this book. And here's why. Jordan Everwood. I'm going to talk about her character in a minute. The setup of the novel is that we find Astrid in a bit of a low point from the previous book. She was intending to get married. We learn in the first chapter that that wedding did not happen. And I can't remember the span of time that has happened between the first and the second novel, but it's some time. So because the wedding didn't happen, Astrid really feels that her mother is disappointed in her and she wants to show her that Astrid is still capable of being successful in business. She has an interior design business. She's been awarded this amazing opportunity to be lead designer on the renovation project of the town's beloved Everwood Inn. And that reno is being featured on a design show with a well-known host. So like an HGTV type show. And Astrid thinks this is it. This is going to turn my luck around, get mom off my back. It's going to be great. I cannot fail. Jordan Everwood is a carpenter and yes, part of the family that is related to the end. Her grandmother owns it. The inn has fallen into a bit of disrepair since tourism has kind of died off and Jordan is really close to her family. It's one of the things that I really liked about this book, particularly her twin brother. He is overseeing the project and her grandmother who owns the inn is still around. She has taken out a loan to pay for the renovation. 
And so being featured on the show is a huge deal. They're trying to draw attention back to the inn and generate some buzz for tourism and travel. And if that sounds a little hallmarky, it does not come off that way to me. And also, I don't think there's anything wrong with Hallmark kind of setups, but I'm not as summing it up as great as her writing is, I don't think. Jordan is also in a period of self-doubt. She's feeling kind of uninspired. Some things happened on some last builds that she was a part of, and she's not really excited about making things in the way that she used to be. Both women are in this kind of challenging period. So when they meet, conflict arises and sparks fly. The chemistry is palpable from the beginning. That's part of what is great about it. But for me, Jordan is a character whose entire identity has been wrapped up in someone else since her college days. And there's some grief and there's some trauma And she's really feeling lost and untethered in this period of her life. And this is represented so well as she is trying to believe in her worth again. And that message resonated so deeply with me. I don't know if you're someone who's not going through something like that, if those parts will be as meaningful to you. But I do think the conversations about doubt and overcoming doubt and finding passions that drive you. There's conversations about consent and coming out and the worry that you feel about disappointing the people who believe in you and disappointing those you want to love you and be proud of you. And I think Herring Blake is really skilled here at wrapping all of that into a well-paced story about love and friendship. There's some truly, truly funny moments. There's great chemistry, spicy scenes that feel authentic, sometimes awkward. This was an easy five stars for me. And if you don't love it, don't tell me. I never really understood the book boyfriend thing. And maybe that says more about me and maybe that's me as a queer person, but Jordan is my book girlfriend forever. And that is Astrid Parker Doesn't Fail, the second in the Bright Fall series from Ashley Herring Blake. Devin, I'm really glad that you mentioned this book because Casey, uh, my wife, for those of you who don't know, does not read, she reads a lot. She does not read romance. She actually read the first in this series because I made her for a challenge that we did together and she quite enjoyed it. And I have recently, um, so I'm a Penguin Random House influencer, which means I get audio arcs from them. I've recently got approved for both Delilah Green and the sequel. So I'll let you guys know what I think about that when I read it. But you obviously, I mean, you saw me on anything you read, so... So for this next one, I don't have nearly as much to say about it. And the next book I'm going to talk about is Throne of Glass. I actually wanted, that's by Sarah J. Moss. That most of you probably know that. I actually wanted to talk about a romance book, which will be in every other month in our every other month wrap up. I chose this to mix up genres for you all a little bit. Throne of Glass is a reread for me. Actually, when I went to look at Goodreads, I discovered I've actually read the second book as well and had no idea. I couldn't begin to even tell you what the book is about. If you told me, Zach, I'll give you a million dollars if you answer answer one simple question. And if that question was, have you read the second Throne of Glass book? I would confidently tell you I have not and ask for my money, please. It was quite a surprise to me that I have actually read the second one. I I had no idea. Anyway, Throne of Glass. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what Throne of Glass is about. Really, what I want to say is it's impressive that Sarah J. Moss published this book at 16. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. It's not a five star, but it's interesting start to a series. 
there's a particular trope in it. And I did check the synopsis to make sure I wasn't giving away any spoilers here when I talk about this trope. For those of you who do read synopsis, it is in there. It's clear as day, but there is a competition in it. And that's a trope that I really just don't love for some reason. I know for some people that's like their win. And the moment they see that there's a competition, they're like, give me the book. I just did not love that aspect of this book. And I just don't love it in books really at all, except for the Hunger Games. Um, but that's a discussion for a different day. But when you pick this up, you will see everything that's 2012 YA fantasy was. It screams 2012 YA fantasy. It's a good start to setting up a fantasy world, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. I'm on a mission this year to read this entire series, probably one book a month, and we'll see how it goes. I will say this first novel, had I not known it's going to go places and be this great series, at least it better be, I wouldn't continue. It's pretty forgettable, and clearly I felt that way about the second book too. Though I hear things get better from the second book on that's what we're pushing for because I at this rate like I said this would not be a series I would continue had this been a debut novel or I didn't know that like everybody raves basically from the third book on so I'm pushing through to see that aspect of it played through but I know a lot of people have been waiting for my thoughts on Throne of Glass and that's why I decided to bring it to the show today I, I don't know if I'll mention the series again until I'm done unless something crazy happens but we'll see we'll see how it goes all in all I gave this one 3.5 stars rounded up to four on Goodreads if only Goodreads would allow us to use half stars, I always send a roundup because it's nice and we need more kindness in the world. Here are the blind date with a book words for this one for you guys. YA fantasy, kingdom atmosphere, princess and princesses and princes, ancient magic and a deadly competition. Yeah, I use the competition for the blind date with a book because I know some of you people will pick that up if you see that. But that's really all I have to say about Throne of Glass. I mean, most of you have heard tons of reviews about these over the years. I just wanted to weigh in and give my opinion so far. I won't be reading that. No, not because of your <laughs> review, just because I, not don't, I just, I'm not going to, I never say never. I'm never going to say never. I'm not, but it just does nothing I have heard about that series interests me at this moment in my life. No shade to anybody who loves it at all. Seriously. It's not a youth thing. Yeah. I think you should know what your reading tastes are. And I'm going to talk next episode about some of my reading goals regarding kind of comfort zones, but I, I wouldn't want to read something and hate it. You know, like that's right. just not yeah. fun. So one day maybe I'll get tricked into or stumble my way into it, but it's not going to be tomorrow. Okay. My second read is also a romance, which is a little surprising because like Zach, I like to switch things up in my genres and I typically don't read them back to back, but I'm not mad about it. The second uh, book that I'm currently in the middle of reading, so I, this is going to be a lot shorter than my effusive love of Astrid Parker. This one is called Meet Me in Paradise by Libby Hubshire, and it's also published by Berkeley. In it was in March of 2021, so it is a backlist book. I'm also reading this from the library as a borrowed ebook. I stumbled somehow into a buddy read of this that's currently going on. I'm about 30% into it. I like it so far. I think my rating will be go either up or down depending on how everything works out or it doesn't or will it go where I think it's going or will it not go there? And I don't know which one would be better. So we'll see what happens. But this is a story about Marin Cole. She is a capable person, a giving person, 
She's a big sister. She has taken care of her younger sister for some time of their lives due to a childhood trauma and event. What she is not is a risk taker in any way. See previous childhood traumas. But there's something about the way her sister Sadie is pleading with her to take a vacation with her, a sister vacation. And there's something about how Sadie has come back from this trip abroad. Um, Sadie is, I believe, a journalist of some kind, and she travels the world. And she's gotten back from this assignment. And Marin is uh, concerned about the way that Sadie looks. And there's just a something about it that feels off to her as a big sister. And even though she's normally very worried about Sadie, there something just feels different to Marin. And so she agrees. She does not risk taker says, yes, I'll go with you sister vacation. Even though I have to take a plane there to this tropical Island, we literally take off from there with a no show sister baggage mix up turbulence in the air. And this turbulence sends Marin into the arms of Lucas Sai a hotel uh, group owner, uh, hospitality group owner, who Marin kind of describes as too handsome for his own good. There's an interesting structure in this book between Marin's point of view and her sister's, which if this goes where I expect, I think it will end up really neat. We're not sure who Sadie is really talking to though. There's been some very clear engineering of situations. And so Sadie is explaining why Marin needs this vacation. And it's clear that Sadie's kind of doing some stuff behind the scenes. And the chapters are very short. Sadie's chapters are very short. So we don't right now, at least I'm about 30% in have Lucas's point of view. I'll let you know uh, in the future, probably in the wrap up at some point, how this one turned out. You can also follow both of our Goodreads, which will be linked in the show notes. But that's kind of where things are right now in the story. Marin, Lucas, they made it to the island and they're going to go on a series of adventures. And the vibe is really sort of tropical beachy but it feels in the book like there's so much more to it than that like it looks like it would be like a beachy read but it 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 feels like something more not serious but that there's a little more depth that's going to be happening kind of underneath all of these sort of adventures I want to know what's going on with Sadie and if if she's okay or if Marin is just kind of imagining or just taking her sisterly you know anxieties to to an extreme I'll let you know how it turns out. That was Meet Me in Paradise by Libby Hubscher. Okay, so those were our current reads. We're going to switch into talking about a book-related topic, which for us is the review of our reading year. We didn't share with one another what kind of wrap-up information or stats we would discuss. I think it'll be interesting to see what we each highlight. I'll talk about mine first. And Zach, if you want to interject or have questions, go ahead. Okay, y'all, I had the highest of high hopes this year of keeping a really detailed spreadsheet. I wanted to know exact sort of diversity I was reading. I wanted to know 
where I got book recommendations. And I did really well until about halfway through the year, summer. I got behind and then I tried to go back and add things back into the spreadsheet. But at some point I just stopped entering in books. And then I went back to tracking on Storygraph and Goodreads. My Goodreads is like, it's not quite current. Storygraph is the most current. And I will, I will link my, where you can find me on both of the platforms in the show notes. So most of the information that is on Storygraph is the most accurate. I was actually trying to kind of move solely to using Storygraph. I just really like that I can give the half stars and quarter stars. I like assigning moods to books and seeing what moods are. I don't know. There's something about the story graph and its detachment from pushing books in your face all of the time. And it's not associated with Amazon. It's it's its own entity separate from that. But I also felt like some things were missing in terms of social connections and being able to boost things that I was reading that maybe, and other people have talked about this, where maybe the reviews were low, but I really liked it. And I wanted that voice to be represented there in Goodreads too. So I've kind of tried to gone back to using them both simultaneously but I'm the best at keeping up on Storygraph and I'm not quite sure why that is. I pulled all my stats from Storygraph. Okay, in total, I read 243 books. Some books are missing. So it's probably a little bit closer to 245 or 248, but I'm gonna go with 243 because that's what was recorded. And that's the most books I've ever read in a year in my entire life. My most read genre, not surprisingly, is romance, followed closely by contemporary. Those are storygraph categories. I can and I'm thinking about in the future how I want to be more specific. You can tag books in specific ways. So I might do that in the future, but I I think this makes a lot of sense when I know my own reading that both of those would be the highest. I was surprised that 27 of my reads were categorized as fantasy. Whoa. Let me just, you said I could interject. I just need to interject a whoa. That's it. That's all I have for you guys. I know. I know. I mean, look, we can, we can debate the accuracy of that category, but I did read Babel this year. I did read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I did read some other books that have magical realism elements that might get slotted into fantasy. I don't think there's high fantasy, but there was fantasy. Also, not totally surprised, but a little surprised that I read 23 books that could be categorized as mystery. I enjoy mystery and I was trying to read more mystery this year. So I think that's pretty decent. I also read 43 books that are classified in some way as LGBTQIA books. So those were kind of categories. I don't know if this is a disappointment, but I didn't read as much nonfiction as I thought I did this year. I only read 17 nonfiction books, which is good. It's more than one a month, but I feel like it's low in comparison to how much nonfiction I've read in the past. I didn't do a great job at tracking audiobooks, and I think it's because I listened and read simultaneously. I would guess about 
10% of my reads were audio. The longest book I read was Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. This took me months to read. I was doing kind of slow and steady, chunky book read. That book, by the way, is 1,000, 1,024 pages. Now for like a romance girly who likes to read 300 page books. And call it a day. A thousand twenty four is a long book, but I did really like that book. I wasn't I wasn't bored with it. I always wanted to know more about where things were going to end up. That was my longest book. The shortest was a stunning poetry collection by Aline Mello called "More Salt Than Diamond," and I think that that was in like ninety something pages. Highly, highly recommend if you are looking to read more poetry this year. We will, by the way, link to all of the books that we talk about in this episode in, in show notes. And I'll give you details about that near the end of the episode. According to Storygraph, though, my average read was 325 pages, which tracks for me. I think that that is about right. That's like a sweet spot for me of a book length. Interestingly, my average rating, and not all books were rated, but my average rating was 4.25. I do feel like that's high. Maybe I was really generous, but if you ask me if I had a good reading year, I would say yes. So I feel like I enjoyed most of what I read this year. I did DNF about 10 books. Some things that I learned about my reading because of this is that I learned that I really enjoy books about nature and things going wild. If water is featured prominently, sign me up. As you'll see when I talk about my favorite reads, if y'all have some suggestions for me about weird nature stuff, after hearing what my faves are going to be, please tell me. I need more, more of that. Also, I learned uh, diversity rules which I already knew, but as I said, I was really trying to track the kinds of diversity that I read. I was very happy that so much of my top favorite books and my top list included a, like a really wide range of people and also topics that could be considered diverse. To take a little bit of a somber turn, I also learned that sometimes the mental energy that is required for reading gets taken up by life events. And I hit some major slumps. I know it doesn't sound like it. I know those of you who are, well, I read 10 books this year. I think that's fantastic. I think if you read one book, that's great. If you read 10 books, 15, 300, to me, the point is not about how many books that I read. Um, so I know it doesn't sound like I hit slumps, but I'm used to being able to escape into books and I enjoy keeping my brain busy by reading multiple books at a time. And I'm trying to be okay with not reading as much as normal, but I'm still struggling with not feeling like I want my brain to be distracted. And I'm a little bothered that my reading life has been affected by some turns of events in life. And I know that may sound odd, um, probably not to y'all because you're bookish people too, but I wanted my book life to be this like precious, pure space. And it, it just doesn't feel like I, I can always escape as easily. And I think that that's probably why I'm gra gravitating towards some of the books that are on my interest list for the future. 
I don't know what reading in 2023 or what life in 2023 is going to look like. But when I talk about my goals, I think you'll see how I'm trying to kind of prepare for whatever happens and hold some compassion for myself about reading or the mental energy or brain activity. But I am happy to report that I think this is probably one of my best reading years in a long time, despite the sort of end quarter slump that happened at the end of November and December. I ended up in December reading, I think, 12 books, which sounds like a lot. Well, if you read 12 books a month, you almost have 150 books read. But knowing that how previous months went, that was a little bit of a a ding. And I don't think I'm going to read as much in January as I would like either. I want to be honest about where things are in my reading life. And I have goals set that I'll talk about. We'll talk about ours next episode. But overall for 2022, I'm really happy with the goals that I did meet and how my reading went. And I think we'll talk about our favorites, but I want to hear about some of your meeting your goals or how you feel like your summary of books of 2022 was before I think we get into favorites. Most of you who know me from YouTube channel know that I have five dogs and Devin and I have audio suppression going and other things that, but you may hear them in the background, especially at this time of day. Um, Like right now they're playing and there's nothing really that I can do about that. So if you hear them in the background, just know that it's five dogs and then let your heart be filled with love. For my stats and et cetera, interestingly enough, are quite different from Devin's. I do not use Storygraph. I have tried over and over to use Storygraph and just have not been successful in tracking on Storygraph. Now, I've been listening to a lot of bookish podcasts. I talk to a lot of people in the bookish world, obviously. And I know a lot of people's goals last year was to use Storygraph instead of Goodreads for various different reasons. But recently in the end of the year wrap-ups, I've heard a lot of people say that they also were not successful on Storygraph, which shocks me because people were so gung-ho on using uh, Storygraph in this previous year. And to hear that people weren't successful, I'm interested in why, because I know that Storygraph has done a lot of work to develop and uh, make things a lot better. And you're going to see some of the problems with tracking solely on Goodreads here in a minute when you listen to my wrap-up. but yeah, so this year, and like Devin said, we're going to talk about goals in the next episode. But one thing that I'm doing is I have a, a good friend of mine who I met in the bookish community in our Discord, who is very good at making spreadsheets, like very talented. And if you're listening, hello, very talented at making spreadsheets. And so I reached out to her and asked her if she could help me make a spreadsheet for tracking my reading next year. So that's in the works and will make things a little bit easier for me. But as far as last year goes, I only tracked on Goodreads, which means that every stat I'm going to give you, which is not many, I counted up myself. This next year, that won't be the case. And because of that, because I'm very excited about stats and tracking, like tracking just does things for my brain does really good things for my brain. I was actually thinking as Devin was talking that maybe we could do a quarterly stat check-in sort of like we're doing now and just update you guys on how our reading year is going through stats because a lot of people like stats. It also tells you more about us as readers just through simple number check-ins, but we'll talk more about that later. It was just a thought that I had that maybe we could do like quarterly stat check-ins, especially because Devin uses StoryGraph, which we'll do it for her. And then I can use my spreadsheet. Anyways, 
for the year of 2022, what a year, what a year 2022 was. I was filled with several very highs and very lows. The beginning of the year was tough for me. Trigger warning for any sort of pet issues. Uh, just skip about five seconds. I'm not going to talk very long about this. But at the end of 2021, Casey, my wife and I lost one of our beloved dogs. And that was very, very, very hard for us. And that really stumped my reading at the beginning of the year. I did not read very much in January. And I only read three books in February. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And then at the end of February, I got news that I was having top surgery. For those of you who do not know me beyond this podcast, I am a trans man, which means that top surgery was a life-saving, life-changing surgery for me. And so through that, I also did not read very much through March and through April through recovery, which I won't go into a whole thing about this, but you don't see a lot on the internet about top surgery recovery. I think there is some toxic masculinity within the trans community and men don't want to admit how tough top surgery recovery can be. And it was hard. It it took a lot out of me. And then I had to get right back to work two weeks later. And I just didn't have a lot of time for reading. My reading really took off in the summer and then through the end of the year. And I'm going to talk about why that is. So my reading goal for the year was 100 books. By the time we got to summer, I was about 20 books behind schedule, according to Goodreads. You know, when Goodreads gets that attitude problem that it does and likes to tell you that you're behind on your reading goal. I know it's so rude, but I was about 20 books behind. At the end of the year, I ended up reading 128 books instead of 100, which is great. I surpassed my goal for myself. In a genre breakdown for you guys that I counted myself and then went back to double check that it added up to 128 because I didn't trust my ability to to count these. I also categorize these myself and nothing overlaps. So a lot of these books can be YA romance or fantasy romance, but I only, I put them into the category that fit best. So they're only counted in one category. So I read 43 romance. So like Devin, you will find that we are both big, big romance readers. And a lot about what we talk about on the podcast will be romance. But just like Devin, I read a lot of other genres as well. I read 11 fantasy. I read one sci-fi. A goal of mine for 2023 is to read more sci-fi. I'm I'm already I'm reading a sci-fi right now because I really want to improve uh, that. I do like sci-fi. This shocked me a bit because I don't like general fiction for the most part, or I guess literary fiction. I read 10 of those, which is bigger than I thought. And I think some of those came from our Patreon, from the channel. Shout out to those people. You guys are amazing. I love you guys so much. They pushed me to read outside of my comfort zone a lot. And so I, a lot of those came from our Patreon reads that we did together. I read seven horror, I read 13 mystery, and four thriller. So I categorized mystery and thriller separately because I hate thrillers. One of the thrillers I read was for Patreon, and a few of the other ones were just um, ones that were previous authors that I really liked, or something that was really, really hyped up. But for the most part, I don't like thrillers. I like mysteries. And for me, the difference is there's a lot more character development. They're a lot slower. I mean, by definition, a thriller is supposed to make you on the edge of your seat, thrill you, and be very suspenseful. And because of those plot elements, there isn't a ton of like character exploration, character growth relationships. I mean, of course there are because it's a book, but I think mystery really hones in more of that slow paced development, which I prefer. So I read 13 mystery and four thrillers. Um, I read 26 YA books. And again, 20, like the YA was YA fantasy, YA contemporary, YA romance, but I didn't separate them. Oh, YA horror was another one that I read quite a bit of, but I just categorized those all into YA. 
And I was actually surprised that I read 26 of them because I have slowed down a bit on the YA that I'm reading and moving more into new adult and adult books. But YA will always just have a special place in my heart and I will continue to read YA. I read nine middle grade. Middle grade is something that's really grown on me this year and it will continue into 2023. And then I read I categorized these all together because there wasn't very many of them, and that's graphic novel, manga, and poetry. I read four of those. Into 2023, I can tell you I've already read more than four of manga and graphic novel because I really also want to read more of those, and I found a couple series that I'd really like to dive into. Looking back into my ratings and my reviewing, I read 57 five stars, and looking back through Goodreads, I even took out five stars that I had originally put in and no longer feel that they are five stars and it was still 57 of 128 and I know there are a lot of people out there who are using different rating systems and don't love the the, the star situation and I think that we can do a whole episode on that because I have a lot to say about that and I do think there's validity in both avenues of rating or not for me it just categorizes in my brain how I felt about a book and going into 2023, I want to be more tough on the way that I look at books because I'm an easily excitable person, meaning I get very excited about things. And sometimes that doesn't always feel accurate after the fact. It's an actual psychological effect that most of us go through called the recency bias. And oftentimes I don't feel like my five stars stay five stars throughout the year. And so I want to think more about that reading and reviewing into 2023. And at the end of the year, going back and changing anything that doesn't feel like a five star. On the flip side, there were a few books that I gave three stars or four stars and thought about throughout the year and compared to my other books that I've read and changed them to five stars. I just think the way that we read and review is very interesting and very fleeting. And that is something as a community that we need to recognize about us as humans and just people in general. So I know we're going to get into our favorite books in a minute. Um, I did want to do, so I picked one favorite book uh, to briefly mention, but I wanted to just say like my honorable mentions for favorites so that you guys can get a grasp of who I am as a reader. So my honorable mentions were The Bromance Book Club by Lissa K. Adams. And I mean that series as a whole, not just The Bromance Book Club, which is the first book. I'm honorably mentioning the entire series. Another one is Love Light Farms by B.K. Borson, The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches, and I am not sure how to pronounce this author's name and I don't want to uh, butcher it. You can look it up on Goodreads or it'll be linked in the discussion as well. And the last honorable mention I have is All That's Left in the World by Eric K. Brown. So those are my honorable mentions. And before we briefly talk about our favorites, I wanted to talk to you guys about my goals of 2022 and if they were met. Here we go. I couldn't even tell you what my goals were. (laughs) I'm hoping to make major progress toward that this year and be more intentional about my reading. Overall, I just know I wanted to read more this year and I did that. I found creative ways to fit reading into my busy life. I also found a satisfying niche for my ADHD, which is listening to audiobooks while I play video games. A lot of people have been asking me how I read so much this year and also how I read and game at the same time. Honestly, That's just how my brain works. I can listen to books at really high speeds while playing games, and it really satisfies a part of my brain to have two things going on at once, one being something with my hands and the other thing being something with my brain. I don't take any medication for ADHD, but it's something that I have dealt with my entire life. And I'll tell you this year, listening to audiobooks and playing games at the same time is something that really sort of treated my ADHD and really like helped that aspect of my brain so much. And I really just wanted to touch on that. What I learned this year is that most of my books were on audio. I would say 
that about 80% of the books I read this year were on audio. I learned that I can and I should do two things at once because it's good for my brain. I learned that books bring me a lot of happiness within myself and my soul, but also connects me to other readers around the world. I'm so thankful for the bookish community. They've been there for me through some really tough and enjoyable, so tough as one and enjoyable as another moments in my life. So that's kind of just my year in review, taking out my favorite book of the year, which I'll mention after Devin tells us about hers. I had a question for you. This might be something we talk about more in the future, but both of us have talked about and have shared a lot of conversations with one another about being mood readers and about, I mean, I 100% will not stick to a TBR. Absolutely not. It seems that setting reading goals and being mood readers could be incompatible. No. You want to know why? One, I think we should do a separate episode on this, but I'll say we as mood readers know thyself first. So we know when we're setting our goals, how to work around the mood reading, for example, and we'll talk about that in our goals next week, but I set my goals around mood reading and also I still set a TBR every month. It's a TBR that I will not follow. What it basically does for me and myself is, and this is something I don't miss about BookTube because that was very stressful, but basically in a notebook, I will write down books that are on my radar and books that I've been constantly thinking that I want to get to so that when I stand in front of my shelves to pick a new read, I'm not completely overwhelmed and paralyzed. I can look at that list and say, Zach, this is what you've been really thinking about recently. And if none of that fits the mood, none of it fits the mood and I move on. It's basically, these are the books that I've moved to the front for myself. Rather I get to them or not, it doesn't matter. But I want to be able to have a list that's like, this is what you've really been thinking about so that I don't start a book, get halfway through and be like, crap, I didn't really want to read this other book. You know what I mean? I think we can work around our goals and stay mood readers because we are plagued by mood reading. Very much. Honestly, I have a secret for everybody. I think about 90% of readers are mood readers. I think that there are 10% of people who really, and I have friends, good friends who are strict TBR. They will not read outside the TBR. They will check it off like a checklist and it satisfied that part of their brain. But I think 90% of people don't want to be mood readers for some reason, but they are. They are. I really like what I've seen these stories on Instagram or or these graphics on Bookstagram that people have made and they say February hopefuls. Hopefuls are about the TBR as like hopefuls. And I think it does what you said in like cutting to the line some things that you've you've been thinking about or wanted to, you know, emphasize. Thinking about this is like, I hope to get to this can narrow down when so many books are published, so many new releases are coming out. I mean, for me, I think I'm just really tempted by new releases, like the buzz of it. Yeah. But I'm um, also we really do a whole episode on FOMO. But I'm also kind of sometimes tempted, like that also turns me off at the same time. Like it's both sure. like, yeah oh, everyone seems to be talking about this. Well, as a rebel, like I absolutely don't want to talk about that then. Right, yeah. I don't know. So anyway, it's interesting. I was just thinking about in setting goals, how I push myself toward reading goals when I can be like such a rebel and like moody, moody. But anyways, okay, we can talk about that in the future. Okay, how many, I have my whole list of top reads. So am I just talking about my favorite book? Maybe give 
because we're approaching hour. And for the listeners, we are trying to keep this podcast around an hour. Devin and I both talk a lot. Bear with us as we try to fit timing in. I would say maybe do like do your honorable mentions like I did and then tell us a little bit about your favorite read and why was your favorite. Then I can talk about my favorite and then we'll do our releases and then we'll wrap up. Okay. Um, like I've just stressed you out because you're like, how, how am I going to do this? Okay. I'm just going to start with my favorite. Okay. My favorite book of the year. And this is not a surprise to anyone who knows me. And I guess who knows me in real life or who follows me on Instagram or read any Goodreads reviews. But my favorite, my favorite book of the year is Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfeld. I read this book in August, I believe, or September, and I listened to it on audio. I cried. I came home and I ordered two copies of it. I don't buy books really a lot. I've bought more this year than I had in a really long time. I use my library the most and I have Kindle Unlimited and Audible. And so, so I purchase books in that way, but I don't own physical copies. And I have two physical copies of this book. One is signed and one was so I could reread it. And I think I will reread it. If you don't know what Our Wives Under the Sea is about, it's really a book that's hard to explain. I think it's an odd book. It's probably not for everyone, but it is about a, a couple, a queer couple, who one of them is on this underwater mission, sort of not named or disclosed exactly what they're trying to do. And she is gone longer than expected. And the book is about what happens in the meantime, really, as her wife is waiting for her. It's about what happens when she comes back. The person who comes back is not really the same person who left. It's about caretaking in a relationship. It's about, you know, relationships not really clicking It's about two women falling in love because you get the backstory of their relationship. And it's just beautiful. I really want to read Salt Slow, which is, I think, a backlist of Julia Armfeld. Um, She's a British writer um, living in London. And like I would read any word that she wrote. It was fantastic. It started my awareness of how much water means to me and how much how many books about water or that that I'm really drawn to um also it kind of kicked that off for me so that was my favorite book of the year hands down and it's another one that I don't think is for everybody I, my entire list of 10 of my favorites are books that are, I don't think are for everybody and I understand why people might not like it So again, it's one of those where like, don't tell me, I don't want to know if you didn't love it. My Goodreads review of this is so incredibly like, I don't, that I just loved it. Like that, it's so hard for me to talk about. And that's why I was hesitating about like what I wanted to say. I didn't really write anything out that I wanted to say because it's really such a personal, I think books come along once in a while that just hit you at the right time. They're so deeply personally moving for you that it becomes really difficult to talk about. And I think that that's, that's, that's why I I am really struggling to kind of articulate words. It's what I love the most about books is like just how meaningful they can kind of be. And for me, this was a true barometer of what I, where I was at the time and how things were sort of unfolding for me. And I think that that's true of a couple of the other books on my list too. Like my second favorite at coming in at number two 
was Migrations by Charlotte McConaughey. I also recently read her Once There Were Wolves, which was fantastic. So that's my top one and two. My favorite book of the year, and if you know absolutely anything about me, you already know the answer to this. So I'm not going to go on and on about it. That's Gallant by B.E. Schwab. This is a YA fantasy book. I say book because it's a mixed media. It's really short. It's not what B.E. Schwab typically writes. And because of that, a lot of people actually didn't love this book. We follow a young girl named Olivia who is at a boarding school that's quite abusive. She is mute. And a lot of people get that confused with being deaf. So she cannot speak, but she can hear everything people are saying. And because she doesn't speak, oftentimes people will say things and think that she can't hear them or doesn't understand them because she's mute. And there was a lot in this story that surprisingly I related to my transition as a trans man. And that connection might be a little confusing for a lot of you, but I related to it so much that I got a tattoo of the art in the book on my chest which is right by my scars from surgery. To say that this book was impactful for me is an understatement. I mean, I have a tattoo covering my chest inspired by the book. And basically, Olivia is at the sporting school. Her parents are sort of a mystery, and we don't know a lot about them, but her mom left a journal for her, and it says, whatever she does, do not go to Gallant. Well, one day she's at this miserable boarding school. She gets a letter from her uncle saying that he is going to come rescue her essentially from this boarding school and she could come live with him at Gallant. So she weighs out her options of how miserable she is at, at the boarding school and her mom saying she should never, ever, no matter what, don't go to Gallant. Yeah. And she goes. And the story really takes off from there. And that's all I'm going to say about it. But I absolutely love this book. I would recommend it to some people, sort of like Devin. I don't think it's a book for everybody. But that was my favorite book of the year. And I told you guys about some of my honorable mentions. So the last thing that Devin and I wanted to tell you guys about are some upcoming releases that we're looking forward to. I'm just going to tell you the book and I've actually already pre-ordered my two and I'm just going to tell you what they are and the genre they are. So on February 14th, The Last Tale of the Flower Bride is coming out. This is by, I don't know how to say the author's name. So this is an adult fantasy novel. Also out on February 14th is a romance called Take the Lead. This book has already been published, but it's being republished. And it's about dancers, which is a trope that I absolutely love. So I've pre-ordered that. Um, that's by Alexis Darn. You guys know that I can't pronounce things, but if you look up Take the Lead, it's coming out February 14th. It's about dancers. And I'm very excited about that because I think romance that has dancers in it leads to some very, I don't know, tension and romance that I just really love. So those are the two that I've pre-ordered so far. They both come out February 14th. Valentine's Day. My March release might surprise you because it did surprise me, but I'm looking forward to Jesse Q. Satanto's new cozy mystery series, Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers. First of all, that is such a great title. I enjoyed the cozy mystery elements of her previous books, Dial A for Aunties and Four Aunties and a Wedding. So I'm excited to see what uh, Sotanto does as she like leans into the cozy mystery genre. And I think it will work in her favor to lean into that without having to deliver romance. I've also pre-ordered this. Oh, you did? I did. Yep. Well, okay. So here's what I know about the book from people I've heard talk about it. Vera runs a tea shop and not doesn't have a ton of customers. So she spends a lot of time trying to figure out what her son is up to uh, on the internet. 
Like, I think she's sort of like maybe stalks his social media or something. She lives above the tea shop. And one day when she enters the shop from her space, she finds two things, a dead guy and a flash drive. While she does call the police, she also does something else unexpected. And I can't wait to see what happens next. Um, this is published by Berkeley and comes out March 14th. That's the only one I have. So that concludes our first episode. We did it. Something that's been in the works for a long time. I'll tell you guys, we are recording this on January 5th. And our first episode, you guys will be hearing on January 19th. The wait for that is going to be so long for Devin and I. But we actually are going to record another episode before the first episode goes out. We wanted to let you guys know about some ways that you can reach us. All of these are going to be linked in the show notes, which is the easiest way to find any information about us. But you can find me on Instagram at Zachary, and that's spelled with a K. It'll be in the show notes, .goodreads. You can find the Instagram for the podcast, which will have some things leading up to this release. It is don't underscore read underscore the underscore synopsis. Again, check out the show notes. Don't does not have an apostrophe in it. And then Devin can tell you about where you can find her. Other links for me will also be in the show notes. You can find me on Instagram at professor underscore reads. I think that's also my storygraph name. I'll link Goodreads and storygraph and all of that kind of stuff as well. The podcast also has a website, don'treadthesynopsis.com, and we will post information there, and there will also be an email form to contact us there as well. I also have a blog, uh, onepartwisdom.com, where I write about books and life, and yes, we will give you, again, a list of all the books mentioned, all of the links that you need, and we will, in the future share our reading goals for 2023. Our next episode is going to be about reading goals. When you hear us next, that is what we will be talking about. Until then, what you read is up to you, but take our advice. Don't read the synopsis. Virtual high fives. Oh, I'm muted.